What is good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Kevo Bands Hoops Podcast, man. Back at it again today, Monday, April 20th. Hopefully, all you guys had a nice, relaxing, and calm weekend. Hopefully, all you guys enjoyed your weekend. Hopefully, all you guys are doing safe out there, staying home, staying self-isolated, social distancing, avoiding large groups and gatherings, man. Just be safe out here, man. Please only go out unless you absolutely have to, man. If you do, please be productive or go and get your groceries. But other than that, please just stay at home, man. Pick up a new skill, new trait. Do what you got to do. Try and get better a little bit each and every day, man. And let's just get through this, man. Let's put this behind us. I know you guys are tired of the coronavirus. I, myself, am getting more than tired of this. I'm ready to get back to our regular, regular scheduled lives. But, man, so yesterday, The Last Dance finally came out. The documentary based on the last season of the Chicago Bulls dynasty back in the 1990s. And man, even though we only got two episodes, they were two really, really good episodes. And let me just put it in perspective. I was born in 1999, so I did not get a chance to live through none of this or experience any of this. But to go back in time and to relive it and rewatch it is really, really good. And even though, again, it was only two episodes and we're going to get every two episodes every Sunday for the next few Sundays, it was really, really good to watch. So I got a couple takeaways from the first two episodes. So The first takeaway that I really have and the only negative takeaway that I have from the documentary from the first two episodes was Jerry Krause. And now look, Jerry Krause was the general manager of the Bulls back in the day. And sadly, he just died in 2017 due to some health issues. And, you know, I really don't like talking about the deceased people in a negative light. Um, I really only talk about talking about deceased people in a positive light. But I got to say, man, Jerry Krause was completely in the wrong. And look, I got to give, I first and foremost, want to give Jerry Krause a lot of credit because at the end of the day, he did, and he was a big reason of why the Bulls were successful in the 90s with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Phil Jackson as the head coach. Like, he was a big reason. Of course, he was the reason that Phil Jackson was even the head coach of the Chicago Bulls. He put off the Scottie Pippen trade on draft night. He traded um, Bill Cartwright to the... Uh, he traded Charles Oakley to the Knicks in order to get Bill Cartwright. He also drafted Horace Grant. He also was the main reason that the Bulls were able to trade for Dennis Rodman from San Antonio. So you got to give Jerry Krause a lot of credit. I don't want to make it seem like he's the villain of the story or he's the you know antagonist because he actually did a lot of good things. And he's actually in the Hall of Fame. They actually gave him a, a, a Hall of Fame. They put him in the Hall of Fame after his death. But nonetheless, the thing with him was he clearly epitomized little man syndrome. Like he had issues. He was narcissistic. He was egocentric. And they said it. he just wanted a lot of credit. And look, he probably did deserve a lot more credit than he ever got. But at the same time, like you're still just an executive. You're a general manager. And you weren't, again, you weren't important. And I think all your peers realized that, but you wanted more credit than you got. And I think you wanted the credit that Jordan got, that Pippen got, that Dennis Rodman got. You wanted that type of stardom and that fame. And I understand that because again, you played a huge role. But at the end of the day, When you look at dynasties, when you look back at championship teams, people aren't going to remember, aren't going to point out the front office executives. Like, it's going to be people out there that a little, you know, it's a few people out there that will, but for the most part, you're not going to go back and point out executives and championship runs and dynasty runs because, one, they're not out on the court. They're not hitting buckets. They're not putting the ball through the rim. They're not rebounding. They're not playing hard. They're not making assists. They're not playmaking at all. And so, as much as Jerry Krause did, I just feel like he was trying to do way too much. Like, if I was Phil Jackson going into that final season, that 97, 98 season, I believe it was, or 90, 96, 97 season, whatever it was, 
I would have been so irate if my general manager came out and said that my that I'm only going to be here for one more season, even if I go 82 and 0. This is my last season as a head coach of the Chicago Bulls. If I was Phil Jackson, I probably would have slapped Jerry Krause and then I would have quit right on the spot. Like that was so terribly mishandled, like in so many ways. And then I didn't really want to talk about this either, but the whole situation with Scottie Pimba's contract, and I kind of blame both sides, and I kind of understand where Jerry Krause is coming from because, you know, if you give everybody big contracts, then that means sometimes you can't pay, you don't have enough to pay for your role players. But that more so happens in football than basketball because, again, basketball, it's only 13 players on the team, 15 players max. Football, you got, you know, 21 players on both sides, plus, you know, you got a whole bunch of different positions and a whole bunch of, you know, rosters. And, and so it's like, I'm looking at like, dude, like, okay, I understand Scotty Pippen. I, I commend Scotty because, again, he said he wanted to make sure his family was straight. He wanted to make sure his people was straight. I commend him for that. But at the same time, Scotty should have realized that the Bulls, even though they were making money for the Bulls and they were making a lot of money for the Bulls in general, they were generating so much revenue to the entire NBA that you should have clearly seen that salary caps were going to get highly bumped and they were going to escalate. And I, Scotty should have known that. Like a seven-year deal worth $18 million sounds terrible years later. And the crazy thing about it was Scotty Pippen ended up earning more money over time with the Portland Trailblazers than he did with the Chicago Bulls, who he won six rings with. That sounds crazy to me. And I was just like, man, like, Jerry Krause could have did so much better than that. And then you got the Bulls owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, who was pretty much telling Scotty, do not take this. And if you do sign this deal, do not come knocking on my door to try and renegotiate this deal. Because once it's set in stone, it's set in stone. And so I was just like, man, this is crazy. But again, Jerry Krause, man, he could have just been better. He could have just been slightly better. I understand. But you go back in time, you know, 20 years from now. People aren't going to be talking about, when they talk about the Warriors, they're not going to bring up Bob Myers, who just so happens to be the Warriors general manager going back to 2012, and he still is to this present day. They're not going to talk about that, but they, what they're going to talk about is Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, Andre Iguodala. Even sometimes they'll bring up Steve Kerr. They're not going to bring up Bob Myers, but it's not the end of the world because, again, you still got your credit, Jerry Krause, and it sucks that he's deceased and he won't be able to hear this, but it's just like, man... You did a whole bunch of good things. You have been acknowledged by your peers. You have been entered into the Hall of Fame. You didn't, I understand you wanted more credit, but at the same time, like, again, you just weren't on the court doing that. Like, people aren't going to think about Jerry Krause like that until now, of course, because you got the documentary out. But really, it's just like, man, you're just a general manager, man. You did your part. You did it to a T. You were able to do a really good job, and you created a dynasty. You should just be happy about that. Why do you need credit? Why do you need validation from other people? That's the thing I really don't get about people in general. Like Everybody's always seeking somebody else's opinion when you should always just validate your own opinion and val validate your loved one's opinions. Everybody else's opinion don't really matter, but I didn't really want to get too deep into that. Again, Jerry Krause, rest in peace. It sucks, but I'm just like, man, you, you tried to break something that did not need, or you tried to fix something that, or you tried to break something that did not need to be fixed. And I'm just like, man, like, why would you try and even explore options to trade Scottie Pippen? Because it's like, man, even though you probably would have got some good offers when it comes to trades regarding Scottie Pippen, because he was a top five player in the league at the time, you still, what Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen had, you cannot just replace with another all-star player. Like, they were the perfect combination that's another thing that I really really liked in these first two episodes that I took away with was I love you know I know Jordan had a lot of input into the documentary I believe he was all hands in on this documentary I love how much the first two episodes really showed that Michael Jordan needed and appreciated and loved 
loved Scottie Pippen. Like, I really, really enjoyed that because I always knew Scottie Pippen was one of the greatest players of all time. He's probably top 50, and he's one of the greatest small forwards of all time. And the small forward position is one of the greatest positions of all time. Historically, you got LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Larry Bird, Dr. J, Julius Irvin. So it's like you have historically great small forwards, and Scottie Pippen is definitely in that conversation. For me, he's probably like six or seven greatest small forwards of all time. Like, he's in that category. He's a legit player, one of the greatest two-way players of all time. He really, really was a great second option for Michael Jordan. And every great player needs somebody like that. LeBron James needed Dwayne Wade. Steph Curry needed a Klay Thompson and needed a Kevin Durant. You need players to compliment you. Tim Duncan needed a Tony Parker and a Manu Ginobili. You need those players to help you. Paul Pierce, he needed a Ray Allen and a Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett, excuse me. So it's like winning championships, you cannot do it by yourself. John Paxson hit some big shots for the Bulls. It is a total team effort. That's why I don't really like when people, when, when you start comparing the grades, people always bring up championship rings. Championship rings is a complete team effort. And I know, you know, a lot of people always do that, but it is what it is, man. But again, I give all the credit to what they did. They did some phenomenal things. Scottie Pippen definitely deserves a lot more love, and hopefully he gets it after this documentary. So that was another takeaway. A couple more takeaways. One that I really, 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 really sat down and thought about this one for a minute. Michael Jordan had some great head coaches slash mentors in his corner going from college all the way until the end of his NBA career. Because you look at it, I know he had Dean Smith at North Carolina. I know Roy Williams was an assistant coach at North Carolina under Dean Smith at the time that Jordan was there. Of course, he had Phil Jackson in the league, and of course, he had Chuck Daly playing for the Dream Team. I had no clue, though, and I didn't realize until last night that Michael Jordan actually played in the Olympics the same summer that he got drafted in 1984, and the head coach was Bob Knight, who just so happens to be one of the greatest and one of the most accomplished college basketball coaches of all time. So when even though that is a small, brief period, that's still major. You're getting a advice from a great coach that could give you words of wisdom that will, that will last the rest of your lifetime and I really didn't notice that and that was a big thing that I really took away from this because it's like man he's had a lot of great mentors you don't really do it great players don't really succeed without great coaches and I'm not saying it's impossible because LeBron has done some things with without great coaches you know Jordan has, he's done some great things without some great coaches it happens but to really win rings you need a great coach alongside of you like come on Kobe had Phil Jackson LeBron and Eric Spolster, even though Eric Spolster is not regarded in the same light as Phil Jackson, Eric Spolster is still a great. You know, Greg Popovich had Tim Duncan. So it's like you always need some greats around you. That's just how the game is. I don't care what anybody says. And that's what I think is important because the Bulls didn't start winning rings until the they got Phil Jackson. Until Phil Jackson was acquired, they weren't winning like that. And so that was a major, major thing too. Like getting advice from Bob Knight at such a young age, coming off a, where you was at UNC, for the past three seasons, that's insane to me. And that's another thing. I think every player could use a coach like Dean Smith. Dean Smith is phenomenal. And God rest his soul, man, I give a lot of credit to Dean Smith because, of course, you know, Michael Jordan is great because of Michael Jordan. He put in a lot of work and he had a great, you know, supporting cast around him. And he really wanted to just, you know, he was he would never settle. He had a never settle, I want to win in everything I do type mentality. And that's a mentality that you need. But also, you got to give credit to Dean Smith because think about it. As a true freshman, Michael Jordan is playing in the Superdome down in New Orleans in a national championship game against the Georgetown Hoyas led by John Thompson and Patrick Ewing. And at the time, MJ, I don't even think was the, he wasn't even the best player on the team. And I don't even know if he was the second best player on the team, but I do know James Worthy was the best player on the team. And at the last shot, the last possession of the game that North Carolina would have the ball, Dean Smith said, okay, 
We're going to do this. We're going to pass the ball from one side of the court to the other side of the court because we know Georgetown's defense, and they're not going to be able to rotate in time. So what happens? They go out. They execute exactly what Dean Smith said in the huddle prior. They get the ball from one end of the floor, and they rotate it. They get the ball on the right end of the floor, and they swing it all the way to the left end of the floor. And lo and behold, Michael Jordan is wide open on the wing for a mid-range jumper, wide open, sinks it, takes it. Game-winning shot. And then, of course, Georgetown comes back down the court, ends up turning over the ball. North Carolina is the national champions. And so think about that. As a true freshman, you're getting the ball to win a national championship for your university because your coach said that you would be wide open. And he gives you and instills that confidence in you because he believes in you that much to take that shot. As a 20 21, 22-year-old, however old he was at the time, think about how much confidence that goes into you at such a young age. And I think that's a big thing. Playing sports, you need to have confidence. If you don't have confidence, you don't have anything because I think 70% of all sports just require some confidence. And I'm just saying, Dean Smith put a lot of confidence into Michael Jordan. And then think about this. After three years, MJ says, I'm considering coming back to North Carolina for my senior year. Dean Smith says no. You're ready for the NBA right now. You're an immediate impact type player. Of course, he ends up getting drafted third overall in the 1984 NBA draft. The rest is history. And so I'm just like, man, Dean Smith is a legend for that, for show, for show. So rest in peace to Dean Smith. A couple other takeaways, and I'll get y'all out of here. Another takeaway was that Boston Celtics series in 1986. That was the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. It was MJ's second season in the league. For this dude to drop... 49 in the first game and then come back and drop 63 on one of the all-time great teams ever that featured Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Danny Ainge, Robert Parrish, Bill Walton, and Dennis Johnson, who was an all-time great defender at the time. That's insane. Like, that's really insane. And I'm not, I don't want to compare MJ at all, but honestly, you know, that kind of was reminiscent to me of 2018 when LeBron had that 51-point game versus the Warriors in game one. Like, literally, that's exactly what it reminded me. Like, they were both unbelievably hot every time they had the ball they made something positive happen for their team they would not miss any shot that they took and literally the Celtics had no answers for this dude like they had no answer they tried to play a whole bunch of different defenses they tried to have centers guard them they tried to do whatever they could and MJ was just undeniable that night man he was on a different level and I was just like man for him to do that in his second season is ridiculous and that's just a credit to him for just you know significantly getting better every single year from high school on up and I'm just like man that was a different level type performance especially in Boston in a hostile environment like that back in the day when you know you know the world was even more racist at the time let's call it what it is so I'm just like man that was a hell of a performance so that was that and the last thing I want to talk about real quick the only last takeaway was this dude just had so much swag like I was looking at the dunk contest in 85 he comes out with the all red bulls jersey he got the gold chains on his neck tight tucked around his neck and then he got the ones think about that phil knight and nike believed in him at such a young and early age he had a shoe in his first year in the nba that's crazy too and of course you know shout out to mick grads on twitter he came out and said like think about that mj pretty much paved the way for kevin durant shoes lebron james shoes you know Giannis shoes paul george shoes the nike eybl circuit every year that takes place he opened up so many doors just by being iconic and giving the all to his game, man. So those are just a few of my takeaways from episodes one and two of The Last Dance. I'll be doing a recap and my takeaways from each every uh, two episodes that come out each and every Sunday. Again, the next episodes will be three and four. Next Sunday, I'm looking forward to it, man. 
this is a really, really good documentary. I'm so happy that ESPN decided, you know, to push up the release date because of this coronavirus pandemic, man. But first two episodes were fire. Cannot wait to watch the rest of the series. The Last Dance, I cannot wait to watch. It was really, really good in the first two episodes. But moving on, though, some college basketball news that took place today. Goes by the name of dude that goes by the name of Landers Nolly, who was one of my favorite players in college basketball this past season. He was one of the best freshmen, even though he was a redshirt freshman, he was a still really, really good player. Nonetheless, in this past season, he was at Virginia Tech playing under coach Mike Young in his first year in Blacksburg, Virginia for the Virginia Tech Hokies, where Landers Nolly averaged 15.5 points per game, 5.8 rebounds per game, and 2.4 assists per game. Now, Landers Nolly is a 6'7 wing and I know that at Virginia Tech this past season he had to play in the post because Virginia Tech was small they didn't really have any developed big men so coach Young had to play small ball for majority of the year but Landers Nolly is a bucket getting microwave scoring type of player 6-7 athletic really really underrated playmaker he can just get to a spot he loves to take a jump stop mid-range shot and hit the shot every time he's really good at using the glass for easier shots and tough shots Landers Nolly is just a really really good bucket game player for him to be a redshirt freshman and come into the ACC and average 15 points a game is honestly a testament to how good he is to be honest with you because even though the ACC had a down year this past season they were still good players in the ACC like I know North Carolina wasn't as good as they should be Duke had a cut had a weird year but you know Florida State was still good Louisville had a weird year but nonetheless like Landers Nolly was still one of the best freshmen in the entire country and especially in the ACC like he is a special player but a couple weeks ago he actually announced he had intentions to transfer he put his name in the transfer portal and I was kind of surprised and again the reason he came out and told Jeff Goodman that the reason that he decided to actually transfer was because he didn't feel like playing in the post anymore and I was kind of like, okay, but they only really played. The only reason you really played in the post this past season was, again, just because Virginia Tech didn't really have a true big man on the roster because Mike Young was hired so late that he didn't have enough time to scramble around and put an efficient enough roster together. But it is what it is. I'm not mad at him. But so he actually came out a couple of days ago and announced that his top three schools were Memphis, Georgia. He's actually from Atlanta and Ole Miss, Kermit Davis and the running rebels down there in SEC country. And so Earlier today, he announced his commitment to the University of Memphis and the Tigers and Coach Penny Hardaway in the AAC. And I like this pickup a lot because, of course, Coach Hardaway had the number one recruiting class in the nation last year for 2019. He's missed out on most of his recruiting targets in the class of 2020. You know, of course, most notably Jalen Green and Greg Brown still on the table, but I don't think they'll get him. And so, really, they, they got to put all their attention and focus on the 2021 class because they're actually losing Tyler Harris, too, who's a point guard, uh, going to lose him to transfer. And so they're losing some players, but getting a player like Landers Nolly, who's been through college basketball, he's played in one of the best conferences in college basketball. If there's a chance he could end up being eligible next season because I know the NCAA committee is exploring that option, but I think he'll probably end up sitting out of season. But nonetheless, he's still a big-time player, and I really think – Landers Nolly has a future in the NBA. He's a very, very tough player. All in all, again, he's just a big-time scorer, man. I, I was really, you know, skeptical, and I was kind of, like, shocked that he ended up announcing a transfer. But nonetheless, Penny Hardaway and them getting a player of his caliber is a really, really good player to have. I think he'll use his redshirt year very, very wisely. I think he'll get much, much better. I think he'll be accustomed to Memphis' style of play. You know, Penny Hardaway's still trying to figure it out because they had a kind of rough year last year, too. But Regardless, Landers Nolly is a special, special type of player, man. Memphis fans, you guys should definitely be happy. Whenever he gets eligible, he's going to make a big 
time splash in the American Athletic Conference, man. But with that being said, man, as always, shout out to Nuts and Bolts Sports, man. I'm a college basketball writer for them and journalist, featured alongside a whole bunch of other really great content creators, writers, and journalists on the staff. I'm also on their podcast network alongside a whole bunch of other really, really great content creators and podcast hosts, man. That is, again, at Nuts and Bolts Sports SP on both Instagram and Twitter. Go follow us and shout us out, man, at Nuts and Bolts Sports SP. I know all you guys are dying for some sports news and stuff like that. Trust and believe me when I say Nuts and Bolts Sports has all the content that you crave and desire, man. But as always, this has been another episode of the Kevo Bands Hoops Podcast. Please like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, and share. And as always, if you listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rate and review, man. You guys stay safe out there. Continue to social distance yourselves. Be productive. Try and get better. And just stay active, man. Don't get lazy. Use this time wisely and just get better, man. As always, peace, love, and blessings gone.